This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Anil Bhat. I am a trained historian, columnist and teacher. Join me to explore the past and many other questions attached to it. History Chatter believes diversity is not difference and that difference does not produce inferiority or superiority. More importantly, it believes the past is made of many stories and many more stories about the past will never be known. What does it mean to be Indian? Long years ago, we made a tryst with destiny, said Nehru on the midnight of 15th of August 1947. Who made the tryst? What kind of tryst? What sort of destiny was he talking about? These are not easy questions to answer, and I do not propose to answer them right now. I take up a simple and straightforward question instead. What does it mean to be an Indian? By the time I conclude, it will hopefully begin to appear more diverse than you had initially thought. Let us suspend that question for the moment. Let us stay with the Independence Day for a few moments yet. Here are two indisputable facts. India did not become a sovereign republic on 15th August 1947. Let me repeat. India did not become a sovereign country on that day. Lawyer Avinav Chandrachur writes in his book Republic of Rhetoric that India did not fully discard its colonial yoke on the 15th of August 1947. It was a British dominion between August 1947 and January 1950. During this time, the Supreme Court was yet to be born. The highest court of the land was called the Federal Court. cases decided there could still be appealed to the privy council in london india became fully independent only on january 26 1950 when the constitution came into force second 10 to 20 million indians did not know whether their home fell in india or pakistan on that day radcliffe commission or the body which had the responsibility to settle the boundaries of india and pakistan was not yet ready it released the final maps on 17th of august there's much more here i wish to ask a large question what does it mean to be an indian how does that work make sense what does it mean to be an indian it would seem to be an easy question Trust me it is not. Historian Nico Slate writes in his remarkable new book on the struggle for democracy in the United States and India that the words India and Indians were bent and stretched throughout history to promote particular forms of knowledge and power. The peoples of India would live for thousands of years before they saw themselves as Indians. The first recorded use of the word Indian in english was probably in 893 ad by king alfred the great later christopher columbus called the indigenous people of north america indians 
The word India and Indians are full of interesting histories of manipulations. While the British colonized India ostensibly because they wished to civilize India, some clever Americans went ahead and presented Indians at the same time as a model of an advanced civilization to Native Americans. Some years later, the very same Americans would associate Indians with barbaric heathens. In fact, in the 19th century, the Americans preferred the word Hindu for the people of all India. It was a convenient choice to avoid the confusion between Native Americans and Indians. By then, India had become an utterly uncivilized country to the Americans. The word continued to create confusions yet. Take, for instance, a court case in 1854. There was a law in California that, quote, black mulattoes and Indians, unquote, could not testify against whites. The court had now to decide whether a man of Chinese descent could be defined as Indian. Since there was nothing in the law about whether the Chinese could testify against whites or not, the court boldly declared that the term Indian described not only Native Americans, but also, quote, the whole of Mongolian race, unquote. To be sure, the court was looking only to disallow the Chinese witness from testifying. In the same judgment, the court ruled the Chinese could be black too. This sort of contradiction informed other uses of the word Indian too. By the time Pandita Ramabai visited America in 1886, um, we'll hopefully have a separate episode on this great Indian woman. It was a common sense in America that all women in India were terribly oppressed. She herself spoke passionately about the plight of child widows in India. Yet, her eloquence also appeared to disprove the general assumption that all Indian women were oppressed or docile. While she did notice how white Americans tricked and robbed Native Americans, she still saw the American Indians as essentially innocent savages. It is interesting to see an enlightened Indian woman seeing Indians as savages. She was not alone. Indians who would travel to the US in the 19th or early 20th century would often be told that their people were savages. In order to counter that charge, they would in turn speak of Native Americans as the real savages. Pratap Chandra Muzumdar, a Brambo who traveled to the famous Parliament of Religions in Chicago in 1893, faced a similar experience and responded exactly as Ramabai did. As a matter of fact, the connections between the American Indians and subcontinental Indians were in reality almost always born out of misunderstanding or misconnections. Slate writes an interesting sentence in this context, and I quote, Indians were compared and contrasted in order to defend conceptions of liberty and democracy from which Indians were constantly excluded. It is a brilliant sentence. It was applicable to both Indians in different contexts. Slate calls it the problem of two Indians. How historian histories of two people separated by thousands of miles became connected by the accident 
that a Spanish man made a silly mistake many centuries ago. I'm referring here to the mistake that Columbus made by believing that he had reached India when he actually reached North America. And yet, this connection subsequently did acquire an order of reality. Slate offers a way of making a genuine political connection between the two as well. He calls it colored unity, meaning a solidarity among the non-white people against white supremacy. This is clear in the thought of Mohandas Gandhi as well. Gandhi never visited America, but his understanding of the American Indians was insightful. Gandhi addressed them as Red Indians, of course. By 1903, when Gandhi had been writing, the world was increasingly coming to be color-coded. Gandhi would later write that he fought for the freedom of all colored people everywhere. Effectively, he was opposing the racist imperialism that oppressed both kinds of Indians. Lala Lajpat Rai, who had visited America and later published a book on his experiences there, wrote about how in case of American Indians, the question of race directly mapped onto color. He wrote of American Indians as, quote, savages of a reddish scheme, unquote, but rejected white supremacy and tracked the injustices of European imperialism to the conquests of Columbus. He wrote of how the white man treated the raid Indians with treachery and cruelty. This contrast of whiteness and redness was constructed and contested, but it also shaped the lives of Indians in both India and America. For instance, an Indian named Bikaji Balsara applied for American citizenship in 1906. Naturalization at the time was limited to whites and those of African descent. Balsara's case depended on whether the American government would concede his claims to whiteness. In the judgment, the court distinguished between white race on the one hand and, quote, black, red, yellow or brown races on the other. Ironically, the court accepted Balsara's case, found that he belonged to the white race and affirmed his citizenship. American Indians were red, but Indian Indians were white. He was carefully distinguished as a Parsi, as distinct from the Hindus as the English who dwelt in India. The Parsis and the English were carefully separated from the average ordinary Indians. The Parsis were understood to be, quote, well-to-do persons, principally engaged in commerce, unquote. Yet, some Americans continued to use the word Hindu for all Indians. Young India, a newspaper founded by Lala Lajpat Rai in New York in 1918, wrote explicitly that it would use the word Hindu for all Indians because, quote, in the United States, the word Hindu stands for all East Indians, regardless of their religion, unquote. It means in America during 1920s, an Indian Muslims could be called a Hindu. How then do I conclude? What do these stories tell us about history? What did I chatter about for the last 10 or so minutes? Several things really. First, history makes the familiar appear strange and the strange familiar. Second, 
It relies a great deal on accidents and there is nothing fixed or permanent about it. Third, it tells of the past in a way that includes many stories that come together in ways that often appear the exact opposite of what um, we are often taught or we appear to presume. Almost all of us appear to take our Indianness for granted in a specific way as citizens of a sovereign republic. Yet, as the stories I presented show, something as simple as the word Indian have meant very different things to different peoples at different times and places. We saw that the Chinese could be called Indians. We saw that the Muslims could be called Hindus. We also saw that all Indians may be called Hindus. History is all about this diversity. If history has any lesson to teach, it is that it is necessary to accept diversity even if it appears unfamiliar or unpleasant. This is going to be the basic objective of History Chatter. It will be looking to present unfamiliar stories from the past with a view to promote the point that diversity is not necessarily difference and that difference is not necessarily a marker of superiority or inferiority. What are the other questions about the pasts that interest your curiosity? Please write to us. Please subscribe to History Chatter in your favorite podcast streaming apps such as uh, Apple Podcasts, GeoSavan and Spotify. Looking forward to your feedback and interested uh, questions and queries. I will be back with more stories from the past in the next episode. Till then, this is Anirban webbing you goodbye.